Okay, welcome everybody. The story begins. Okay, chapter 32, page 361. This is really a special chapter. And also, by the way, the timing is very special because we'll soon see this chapter is very relevant to Shavuos coming up. So the timing is actually incredible. The chapter is loaded. We're not going to do the whole chapter today. Um, it's probably one of the most crucial works in Judaism. Not just in Tanya, not just the most crucial chapter in Tanya, but I would say, in my humble opinion, one of the most crucial works in Judaism. The theme of love your fellow as yourself. Um, the great sage Rabbi Akiva said this is a great principle in Torah. Um, the great sage Hillel took it even further. He said, no, no, it's not a big theme in Torah. It's not a general theme in Torah. That is the Torah. Everything else is the commentary. When I was in Crown Heights in Yeshiva about seven years ago, Crown Heights has, has changed, has changed a lot. Because Manhattan has gone up in value, a lot of the young, um, the young yuppie community has moved into Crown Heights. The demographics have really changed. But we were standing outside the yeshiva on Eastern Parkway. And this large group of African-Americans come by. And one of them, they see us standing. They say, hey, fellows, can you tell me the whole Bible stand on one foot? One of the guys in our group says, love your fellow. He goes, that's right. <laughs> that story just popped in my head. I thought it was cute. The whole, perp the whole Torah is really love your fellow. It's really what it boils down to. And we'll see how that plays out soon. But first, when it comes to the mitzvah of love your fellow, there's actually a, a, a discussion amongst commentators, biblical commentators, how you can actually fulfill that. How can the Torah tell me who to love or even who to like? You can tell me what to do, tell me what not to do, tell me what to think about, what not to think about. You're telling me how to feel and who I should feel for? How does that make any sense? The SMAG, which is an acronym for Safer Mitzvot Gadol. One of the commentaries which enumerate all 613 mitzvahs. Here's his interpretation. I'm going to share the screen with you. Um, first... Edit my notes here. Okay. I'm going to share the screen with you here. Um, where are we? What? Wrong page. Hold on. I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Can you see it? Yes. Okay. So text one. Sefer HaMitzvot HaGadol, which is, the acronym is the, the SMAG. The reason why it's SMAG is because there's a Gimel here, which in Hebrew is a G. It should be a big G. Okay. And he, the way he explains, he lived in around, I don't know the exact year, some, probably somewhere around the 10th century. The general principle of the mitzvah of love your fellow as yourself means to not do to others what is hated to you. He doesn't see the mitzvah as an emotional mitzvah. He sees it as a behavioral mitzvah. When it says love your fellow, it means act nicely toward your fellow. Maimonides, the Rambam, disagrees with the smog. And he actually, this is how he interprets it. This is text two from Maimonides' book, Mishnah Torah, his code of Jewish law. It is mandatory in text two. It's mandatory upon every man, every person. Man is not an accurate translation. To love each and every one of Israel as he or she loves his or her own self. In other words, he takes it literal. It's the mitzvah, love your right? As it is said, be thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your fellow as yourself. Maimonides says the mitzvah to love your fellow means literally love your fellow. Not just be nice. He takes it literally. And therefore, 
one is therefore obliged to speak and praise his neighbor, to be considerate of his money. We have to be nice to our to our fellows because we love them. In other words, the mitzvah of, in other words, how do you fulfill? What is the halachic obligation to fulfill this mitzvah? Right. Every mitzvah, there's a proper way to put on the tefillin. There's an improper way to do it, right? There's a proper way to give tzedakah. There's a proper way to light the Shabbat candles. There's a proper way to keep kosher. There's a proper way to love. The smag with the sefer mitzvot haradol says the way you do it is by being nice. Maimonides says, no, being nice is the result of the mitzvah. The actual mitzvah is to literally feel love. And that's the approach the Alter Rebbe takes. In this chapter, that's exactly what he's coming to respond to in this chapter. How can you love somebody? How can you tell me to love somebody? Some people are more lovable than others, but if if I don't love somebody, you're telling me to love every Jew. How does that work? Okay. <laughs> what you know? Something, an interesting point about this chapter. First of all, it's chapter thirty-two, Lamed Bet. Bet. Heart. Yeah. Lamed Bet spells Lev, heart. This is the heart of Tanya. This is the heart of Judaism, this chapter. What's interesting is when the Alter Rebbe first authored the Tanya, this chapter did not exist. He added it later. He added it later. And the reason is. Because if we learn Tanya properly, we're going to love your, you're going to love your fellow. He doesn't need to tell you that, how to do it. It should happen by itself. Later he realized, no, I have to spell it out. <laughs> but theoretically, if I learn Tanya properly, the whole purpose of Tanya is to become more conscious of our soul. If I learn Tanya properly, I'm more conscious of my soul. I'll be more conscious of other people's souls. But he felt the need to actually spell it out, and he added this chapter afterwards. And here's what he says, page 361. Um, the first bold paragraph, it's in the middle of the page. Now when you'll put into practice the above ideas. What are the above ideas? Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. The theme in the last three chapters we've been discussing, chapters 29 through 31. Let's start with 29. What was the theme of 29? I'm feeling desensitized. I'm not aware of my soul. I'm not inspired. I'm not motivated. I'm not interested. What I need to do is become more receptive to my soul. And the analogy we gave was the log. The log's not catching on fire. We have to make that log more receptive, make it a little bit softer. If the body's not getting inspired by the soul, we have to become more receptive, more open. And we kind of need to reprioritize our existence. We reprioritize our existence when we rethink our existence. And we gave several meditations. We become more sensitive to the soul. Um. And that's in essence what he's saying when he says we, what we said above, the above ideas. When we implement the above ideas so that your body becomes, don't take this too literally. He's quoting a verse from Psalms, disgusting in your eyes and repulsive. Don't take it literally. Not the point. <laughs> and you find happiness in the joy of your divine soul. This frame of mind will be an easy and accessible, straightforward path to come and fulfill the mitzvah, love your fellow as yourself. How so? Any thoughts? If I shift focus, if I shift focus from body to soul, so now I can love anybody. Does that make sense? I guess you have to um, not, not only just shift from body to soul, but also um, focus on the divine soul as opposed to the animal soul. As opposed to the animal soul, exactly. In other words, when we say shift from body to soul, 
We don't mean that in a literal level. We mean perceptually. Am I living a bodily life? Or a spiritual life? Exactly. Exactly. And when I shift windows, when I shift to a clearer pair of windows, I can see people from a different vantage point, a healthier vantage point. When I see myself from a, a healthier vantage point, which is that paradigm shift, shifting from body to soul, I can experience other people from that vantage point as well. Very simply put, be that change you want to see in others. That one paradigm shift, which is really the whole essence of Tanya, making that paradigm shift from body to soul, will in inspire us, will empower us, live every single Jew in an easy, accessible, straightforward path. Can I ask you something? So, is it possible to have if you love yourself, then you're going to love others more exactly. because you kind of, um, yeah, because if you don't love yourself, then, you, then you're going to treat anyone anyway the same, so you won't love them as much. So then you know if you don't love somebody else, then you don't love yourself so well put, well put. In fact, I want to share something on the screen with you that that is, says exactly that. Um, hold on, what? hold on. Okay, well put, Sharon. Let's take a look at text over here. You see it? Yes. Excerpt from Lakuti Sichas, Volume Two. Lakuti Sichas are is a collection of talks of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he says the idea of love your fellow as yourself literally as yourself in other words just as self-love is unconditional and beyond reason similarly our love toward our fellow jew is unconditional and beyond reason there's no reason why we love ourselves we just do in fact people who do love themselves because of reasons are not usually healthy um, people that are obsessed with their bodies and that's why they love themselves their love is their self-love is usually short-lived their love toward others their relationships are often short-lived as well because they don't have true self-love real unconditional self-love which is normal for most people right we're, we're usually good at getting along with ourselves for the most part sometimes we have inner conflicts and we you know we get that taken care of but for the most part we like ourselves we can once we discover ourselves, we can discover someone else. I think you put it very well, Sharon. I think that's that that that's exactly what it is. I didn't quite catch what Sharon had actually said. You want to repeat it, Sharon? Uh, so, so yeah, my thoughts behind it is like, if you love yourself, you cannot love somebody else because it's open spiritual. So, if you love yourself spiritually. You love up everybody else because you're going to treat them the same as you love yourself. And yeah, and then the other just falls in with that. In other words, the verse says, love your fellow. How do you do that? As yourself, just by loving yourself, by discovering that self love that we have, which is our divine soul. Thing and what? I was just thinking that if somebody doesn't love you, you, you must think, well, maybe they don't love themselves as well. Well, exactly. That that that's that's a, actually a very good point. If somebody does have a hard time getting along with people, you know, we could take offense. They don't like me, but maybe it's themselves that they have, they're having a hard time getting along with. And, and, and helping people discover themselves, really, it, it's really a big part. This is really a big part of Hasidic life, discovering ourselves, of Hasidic uh, uh, um, approach to Judaism, the Tanya. It's really an approach. The whole Tanya is an approach of discovering ourselves. Starting from chapter one, we learned that we have two different souls. We're learning about ourselves. The whole book is teaching us about ourselves. We finally get to chapter 32, and the Altar Rebbe says, you've discovered your true self now. Now you can love someone else. 
Now you can experience them for who they are because you're experiencing you for who you are. So I have a question. I think I already know. But are we obligated to love people who won't, for instance, won't return the love or they're just awful people who are doing awful things? Are we, those two kinds of people, are we obligated to love them also? Okay, great question. Great question. I think I might, extent... have, I think I might have an answer on that. Because and I'll and I'll and I'll answer it in the form of a question because what Sharon had just said made me think of something else that we had learned um, about about ourselves and 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 in essence um, if if we only uh, if, if 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 we're only able to see the negatives in ourselves then we'll only be able to see the negative in others and maybe only is too strong but. Um, but if we're if we see ourselves in a positive light, it's we're we're better able to see others in a positive light, even though the their circumstances may not necessarily be, you know, conducive to wanting to think that way. But it it helps you to find the positive, even when there may be much negative there, right? And uh, I'm not sure if that really kind of put together cohesively, but. Um, you know, I think in, in a re related back to a story about the Rebbe who um, uh, always sees the positive in, in every Jew, uh, regardless of that Jew's circumstances. Um, and I and I think you know, do you have to? Um, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but I think you're better able to uh, if you're. Uh, if, if you're thinking about yourself in, in a positive way as well. That's a good point. Do you have to or can you? And it's it's two different questions. Um, if you have to, then the implication is you can. <laughs> um, okay, the, the, the answer, I, I think Mike, what Mike is saying is very true. In other words, David, the short answer to your question is yes. Long answer to your question is how? How is that fair? How is that possible? How can that expectation exist? And, and the chapter does address that. The second half of the chapter next week discusses are you allowed to hate people, especially if they're awful people? And it's it's a it's an important discussion. It really is. Because we always talk about love and but well, what about hate? Especially if these are, if you know, somebody's done something really bad, really awful. How do we approach them? At this point, before we get to that, I'm going to leave you on suspense, if you're okay with that. But at this point, what we're what we're experiencing now is, you know, we have parts of ourselves that aren't perfect. But at some point, through prayer, through study, through together bit of l'chaim and for bringing together and experiencing Judaism, we get to experience our soul despite all the mishigas we have. And that's going to empower us to experience somebody else's soul despite their mishigas. Despite their craziness. Let's take a look on the bottom of 361. Um, the second to last paragraph on the page. Just a quick question. Are, are people hearing this uh, high frequency feedback um, while Josh is talking? Maybe it's just my end, but I'm, I'm hearing. No, no, I don't think it's you. Yes. Uh, you're also hearing it? It's, I can just now, now I've blocked it out, but I just. I, I, I was it. hearing it. Okay, I'll have to get new. These are cheap no, no, headphones. No, no, no. I, 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 I think it's best if like everybody stays on mute when they're not talking because I, I, I haven't figured out who it is. But I think I it's somebody. I don't know what's going on with my picture. It's even black on. I don't know if you see me black, but I see myself black. Really? We see you. Yeah, you're we see okay. me light. Yeah. You're you're not black. Well, I can't I can't put on mute because I don't even see my name and I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right. Well, just in general, if if you're let's just try that. If if we're if we're not actually speaking, if you could just kind of keep yourself on mute and maybe that'll keep down that. 
frequency that I'm hearing. Sounds good. And if you have a question or comment, you can always unmute. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's huge. <laughs> okay, so the bottom of 361. For when your body, which separates you from others, becomes repulsive and disgraceful to you, this doesn't mean to literally disgrace our bodies. That's not necessarily healthy. We're talking about the, the perspective of on life. Having a bodily perspective is disgraceful. You'll appreciate the value of the divine soul which unites us all. And, and as for the soul and spirit, who knows their greatness and worth and their root and source of living God? So if my focus is the body, if my focus, and you know, let's give a, let's give a more clear example. Let's say the vantage, let's say I like to, I pride myself in being an intellectual, right? That's how I pride myself. That's the vantage point in which I view life. Who am I going to get along with? Either another in, intellectual that I enjoy talking with, or at least somebody who enjoys listening to my profound intellect, right? But am I going to connect with everybody? I'm not. What if I pride myself in, in my ability to empathize, my emotions? Being sensitive. I'll get along with other sensitive people. I'll get along with people that appreciate my sensitivity. Um, but what if I, and, and if that's my identity, those are just examples. We all have our own box that we cram ourselves into or that we've grown into. We're in our box, so we're comfortable with people that fit in our box. But what if we can access a part of ourselves which is beyond that box yes i enjoy intellect yes i appreciate empathy but what if there's more to me than that my soul the essence of my soul my identity as a jew and if i can really feel that if i can really be aware of that then when i look at another person I'm not just going to see their intellect, their emotions, or whatever it is that I appreciate. I'm going to see their soul. That's exactly what I'm going to see. So when when you say that, <clears throat> you know, it's 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 uh, it's one thing to say that you can see somebody's soul, but it's it's hard to like provide tangibility to that. Meaning, like, um, to be able to recognize somebody based upon their, their behavior, based upon their speech, based upon, you know, a number of externally visible things can allow you to uh, adapt and understand and communicate and empathize and, and do all these things. Um, so is, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like figure out this, you know, the, the, uh, the, the literal, the literal sense of seeing somebody's soul. Okay. Okay. Good question. Seeing is. Yeah. Would that be be that that be like the soul perspective, like seeing people, not how they appear physically, but how I don't know, like the vibe they give off or what they believe in. Because isn't it like we put our own stuff on other people? Yeah. So exactly. Transference. If you can. Yeah, so if you can, you know, if you, if you think something is particularly bad, maybe that's something that's part of you that you're putting off on someone. Exactly. So you have, to, you have to be more aware of what that person is rather than what you're thinking they are. Exactly. In, in psychology, this is referred to as transference. When a therapist is counseling someone, and all of a sudden, you start putting your feelings on that patient. And that's how you start viewing them, based on the feelings you have on the issue that they're talking about. So if somebody's talking about their depression, for example, and you've experienced depression, you all of a sudden start defining what their depression feels like, because that's what it feels like for you. That's transference. 
And, and, and we do that in life all the time. We cram people in our boxes. If they don't fit in our box, we don't like them. If we can get out of our box, or expand our box at least, we can make more room for people. If we can live life from the soul perspective, we can see people from a soul perspective. I could see you, not just for your intellect, for your emotions, for even your beliefs and aspirations. Those are all part of you, but that's not you. There's you at the end of the day, right? Dr. Seuss said, nobody can be youer than you, except for you. And when I discover the true me, I could appreciate the true you. The true me means not my, not my behavior, not my emotions, not my intellect, not my beliefs and aspirations. Those are all part of me. Those are all, that's all, that, that may be how I express myself. But then there's me. There's just my simple, plain old self. You. To put it real simply. Put it this way. You're at the airport. This happens to me all the time. I'm at the airport or I'm somewhere and, you know, let me, I, you know, I was, I was once, it was Sukkot. It was the intermediate days of Sukkot, Cholamoed. And I was at the mall shopping for a raincoat. And this fellow shopper come walks by and says, oh, you're definitely going to need that raincoat after Sukkot. It's going to be pouring, pouring rain. And he started engaging in conversation and every opportunity trying to let me know he's Jewish. Somehow he knew I was Jewish. I don't know. But he was trying to let me know. <laughs> he was trying to let me know he was Jewish. He sensed something that we had in common. I felt something that we had in common. What we had in common was not our social circles. What we had in common was not our activity. What we had in common was not our, um, what our, you know, our, our intellect, our levels of intellect, or interests of intellect, our aspirations, our goals, how we want to raise family. None of that was 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 basis for what we, what what struck that connection. We were just two Jews. It was just as simple as that. It was just that simple. And all two flames connected. That's all it took. You, know, you go to Israel. If you live in Israel, you don't feel it because you're used to it. But if you go and visit Israel as a visitor, when you're not used to it, there's a certain feeling of just belonging. And it's the most bizarre thing. Because even, you know, in certain areas in Israel, I myself, I feel like the Shabbos Goy. And my, you know, my coat's not that long. My side locks are not that big. <laughs> I don't necessarily fit in with certain crowds, but I still feel at home. There's this feeling of belonging to a bigger people. And our connection is not our philosophy on life. It's not our studies. None of that. It's just ourselves. Just our true selves. Being part of the tribe. Yeah. Being part of the tribe. And, and and the reason is, take a look on 362. Um, right in the middle. The middle bold paragraph, it's really the first bold paragraph as well. And ultimately, at the level of essence, all souls are equal, being that all of them are alike, and they all have one father. I'm going to skip to the next bold paragraph, and that's why all of Israel are called brothers. The Torah, throughout the Torah, we refer to as brothers. And the Alter Rebbe takes the liberty to say that when we say when it says we're brothers, it doesn't mean metaphorically. It means literally. Due to the single source of their souls in one God. We all are a bunch of souls. We're all brothers and sisters. It's not metaphorical, it's literal from a soul perspective, because we all have one father. 
This is a powerful line right here. It's only their bodies that separate them. What separates two people are not the souls, they're just the bodies. And when we say body, we mean the physical body. When we say body, we also mean the baggage that comes with it, the box that we cram ourselves in, psychologically. Psychological body. And the animal soul. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's that. Exactly. That's that box. Exactly. The animal soul. But as soon as we get past ourselves, uh, uh, get past that, we're in a much healthier place. And this is what he says, the, the next bold paragraph, and therefore, for those who make their bodies primary and their souls secondary, it's impossible to have genuine love and brotherhood among them. It's only a conditional love. If we don't get out of our box, we can love people, but it's not going to be genuine. It's going to be conditional. I appreciate this person because of their intellect, because of their emotions, because how they make me feel. It's ultimately a self-centered love. Right? What do I gain from this relationship? How does it make right. me feel? What's in it for me? What's in it for me, right? And maybe not physically, but, but emotionally. And it's not necessarily conscious. And therefore, it's not a genuine love. It's not a stable love. A stable love is a love that's not dependent on anything. Right? Why do you love your children? There's no reason. There shouldn't be a reason. There shouldn't be any reason. There's no reason why siblings love each other. In fact, they love each other so much that they don't get along and they still want to they still want to meet up. Because there's no reason for the love. It's beyond reason. And that's the sole level in which we can connect and build stable relationships. In Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, Chapter 5, it says, any love which is dependent on something, when that something dissipates, so does the love. So if I appreciate somebody for their intellect, if I appreciate somebody for how they make me feel, as soon as I don't feel that way about them, the relationship's gone. If I appreciate somebody for their physical physique, as soon as that wears off, the relationship is gone. But if I appreciate somebody for who they are, that's a stable love. And that can't happen unless I appreciate myself for who I am. As soon as I can connect to my soul and see life from that vantage point, I could connect to others. I remember that Perkyavos mentions, which is an example of um, the unconditional, David and Jonathan. Uh, I forgot who it says for the conditional example. Yeah, those are the, those are the examples. And the same teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov used to say that when you see something negative in someone, it's a reflection, it's a reflection of our own selves. A tzaddik, a real tzaddik, only sees good in people, only sees potential, only sees positivity. They may, you know, the, the bad might be there and they might notice the bad. They're not in denial. That's not the, the point isn't to be in denial. Um, but the point is that what they notice, what pops out is the good or at least the potential. You mentioned something like about the box. So isn't the box there to protect you and you need to be open to, to, to grow and learn somebody else and look for the positive and help them grow positively so that you can find the positive in other people? Because if you keep letting down your box and you get people that are nasty <laughs> and then are not who don't have the best intention and you leave yourself open, then you're going to be um, you're open to, to problems. Good question. That's a good question. How do you draw the line between vulnerability and being appropriate and being safe? Because if you see everybody as beautiful and whatever, but then you leave yourself open to be abused, 
or be it's a very good question it's a very good question for your soul and your soul has to grow and your soul has to be safe and it has to be in a good space to actually love something else it's a very good question it's a very good question I, i i think i don't think it means we need to live in denial we need to see the good in people we need to see the soul in people we need to see life from that vantage point it doesn't mean to be the to be in denial of the negativity it's similar your question is very similar to david's somebody's done something awful and they're a bad person you know there's certain people they're just bad we feel like they're just bad people am i supposed to love them am i supposed to see the soul in them the short answer is yes the long answer that doesn't mean we have to be in denial of the negativity that's in them and we could still ne- uh, reject the negativity that's in them. I'll tell you a story. I think I've said this story in the past, but I'm going to say it again because I just love it. This happened in, I think, November. So it was a winter. It was the winter. It gets dark early, you know, about 4.30. And there's this guy driving in Lakewood, New Jersey. Lakewood, New Jersey is a, a very Jewish neighborhood. A lot of Hasidic Jews and there's diversity of, of different Jews. Um, and this guy's driving at night. And he turns a corner and he almost hits somebody. He got really nervous. He stops the car. He breathes. He looks out. Didn't hit him. It's a teenager, a young teenager. A Hasidic Jew. So he's wearing a black hat. A long black coat, black pants. It's dark outside. This is a in the outskirts. This is it's not like Brooklyn or the city. It's this is you know this is more um, I guess suburbia. He rolls down. He rolls in the window and he says, "Should I say something? Should I not say something?" It's a teenager. What teenager wants to be told off? He says, "I'm going to say something." He rolls down the window. He says, "I'm not sure if you noticed. I almost killed you." Um, <laughs> You really should be wearing a reflector at night. You're dressed all in black. It's dark outside. You should be wearing some sort of reflector. That's really the responsible thing to do. The kid points to his headlights. The guy stops in his tracks. His headlights were off. His headlights were off. Because his headlights were off, the first thing he noticed is this guy's doing something wrong. He's not wearing a reflector. But what if his headlights were on? He would say, oh, there's a person. Let me be careful. In the back of his mind, he would think, oh, he should probably wear a reflector. But that's not the, the first thing that would have popped out is not that he's doing something wrong. He'd see a person. And the same is true in our relationships. If we turn our headlights on, our souls... We're going to notice the soul perspective within another person. We're not going to see a literal soul because the soul doesn't have that. Uh, but we're going to, that's what we're going to see. That's the vantage point we see from. Yes, the negativity is there because it's there in us too. Um, if we become perfect, maybe we won't see. You're still going to see the bad. Trust me. Don't worry. <laughs> we're not going to. Be, we're not going to be that good at this, so it's okay. <laughs> um, Um, as soon as we turn on our headlights and we see the negative, the positivity within ourselves, we see life from that vantage point. We could see good within other people. You know, I think back to my days in Crown Heights, in 770, the Chabad World Headquarters. Go there on Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Kippur. Go there on Sukkot. You have a room. Have, have you? Have you? Have any of you been to 770? Have all of you been? It's a room that can comfortably fit 500 people, would you say? Comfortably. Um, you know, if you want a six foot, a thousand comfortably. You think so? It's always seen there's a thousand. There's always a thousand people. Imagine three, four, five thousand people in that room on Rosh Hashanah during services. They clear they, all the benches, all the seats are on the side, and they clear out the middle. So the standing room is all in the middle. There's no chairs, and you just stand. You don't need to sit. You're just squished. 
and you know you have to have a sitter that's small enough because you're going to be holding it really close to your face because <laughs> there's no it, it gets very squished. That's not COVID safe. It's not COVID safe. You're definitely not going to be six feet apart. Um, it's not happening in there. That's why they, they, they just reopened it. They're only allowing 10 people in the whole building. Um, the experience, you know, you start off diving in one place and there's so many people. You know, when you start the Amida, you take three steps back, three steps forward. So you have to make sure you're starting together with everybody because the whole place is going. It's synchronized davening. It's synchronized because there's just so many people. Everybody takes those three steps back. You're just going with the crowd. You're crowd surfing. And what happens is if I'm focused on my comfort, if I'm focused on my body, it's not a pleasant experience. It's hot, I'm being squished. There's tons of people sweating on me. I'm being pushed around. I'm being, you know, it's just not, it's not a good feeling. But if my focus is not the, my physical comfort, my focus is who I am and what I'm doing here. The soul. I don't see how that I'm squished and I'm uncomfortable. What I see is, wow, this is empowering. Because I'm with 5,000 other souls. It's uplifting. Right? You, you know, this is the same idea of, this is the idea of um, taking a lachayim, metaphor bringing it. Not overdoing it, but having a lachayim loosens up, shuts down the body a little bit. So we can, if we so choose, we can experience the soul. Doesn't mean by having a lachayim you're going to experience the soul. But if you do have a lachayim, the body loosens up a little bit. Now I could focus on something deeper if I choose to. The the tradition is for chassidim to say when they have a lachayim, you say lachayim velivracha, which means lachayim to blessings. The word Liv Racha is a compound word, compound of two words, Lev Racha, soft heart. Lachaim loosens up our heart. We can go deeper and experience the soul. The great um, Talmudic scholar of the, seven, I think, 17th century, Rabbi Chaim Velazhin. So he explains that in Pirkei Avot, in Pirkei Avot, it says that there were 10 miracles that took place in the Beit HaMikdash. In the temple. One of these miracles was that when they were in the Beit HaMikdash standing, they were very squished because there was tons of people. But when it came down, time to prostrate themselves before God to bow down, there was plenty of room. So Rav Chaim Velazhin explains, when we're standing, representing the idea of being arrogant, the body perspective, we feel squished. People are getting in my way. Right? Two bodies don't connect. They each need their space. But if I'm bowing down, if I have a little bit of humility, if I'm experiencing the soul, there's plenty of room. We can connect. Somebody once came to the Tzemach Tzedek. The Tzemach Tzedek was Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, not the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but his great-great-grandfather. And he was he claimed he said everybody in shul is you know I feel like people are walking all over me, and getting stepped on. Emotionally, so he said you know what the problem is you're spreading yourself out, you spread yourself out there's more room for people to walk on you. The the essence of this chapter the essence of Tanya. Is a paradigm shift. Shifting from body to soul, shifting from animal soul perspective, which is the self-oriented perspective, to the divine soul perspective. Making that one paradigm shift, which is not easy, it's simple because it's just one step. It's not easy. But when we do, our relationships just click. Because when, I, when I'm inspired from the soul perspective, I can appreciate other people's souls. Make sense? And this is the essence of the whole Tanya. The whole Tanya is telling us how to access the soul. 
Finally, he spells it out. He says, you've accessed the soul. Now what? This needs to improve your relationships. The way you know if somebody really learned Tanya. The way, or the way we know if we learned Tanya. In other words, in chapter 2 of Tanya, he introduces the divine soul. How do I know if I have access to the divine soul? If I can experience it in others. If I can appreciate other people. That's, exactly, that's, that's essentially what we're saying in our chapter. If I love your fellow as yourself, the more I discover my true self, the more I can appreciate somebody else's self. I'll tell you a cute story. It's not a true story, but it's a brings out the point. A new couple gets a newlywed couple moves to a community, and they move to this new home. And the wife is every morning she had a routine. She would wash the dishes at the and watch right at the kitchen window. And she would always complain. The city is just dirty. The city is very gray outside. It's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Blah. Muggy outside. Not, not muggy. What's, there's a word I'm looking for. No, no, no. It's too dirty outside. The neighbor's houses are all dirty. What? I missed you. One more time. One more time. Dingy. There we go. Schmutzy. This town is too schmutzy. This town is schmutzig. This town is dingy. She didn't like it. Every morning she'd complain. One day, she's doing her morning routine, washing the dishes by the kitchen window, and her husband walks by, and she notices how bright it is outside, how clean it is outside. He says, wow, somebody must have cleaned up the city. They must have cleaned the streets. Something's different. Mowed the lawn. I don't know what, what changed. Did they paint the neighbor? Did all the neighbors paint their houses? The husband says, no, I washed the windows. <laughs> I washed the windows, you see clearly. And this is the whole point of Tanya. We need to wash our windows. We need to turn on our headlights. The whole Tanya is telling us how to do that. And the result is experiencing other people from a positive relationship, from a positive perspective. The whole purpose, in essence, if we experience true joy, joy means being comfortable with who I am, and who I am means my divine soul. So if who I am means my divine soul, and joy means being comfortable with who I am, then experiencing my divine soul will make me joyous. When I experience my divine soul, when I experience joy, I can appreciate other people. To love your fellow Jew means to have simcha. That's really the bottom line. We had to say this word in this chapter in one sentence. Let's get over ourselves and celebrate ourselves, our real selves. Simcha, because that's the soul. And when we experience that, that's the vantage point in which we can experience others. The great sage Hillel said that this is the whole Torah, the rest is commentary. Why? But the Alta Rebbe takes this literally. Some take it figuratively. What he means by the whole Torah, it's very important. Or some say... It's the whole Torah in regards to mitzvahs. You know, there's two types of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs between man and God and between man and man. So some commentaries explain when it comes, what he meant was this is the whole Torah in context of mitzvahs between man and man. The Al-Tzadeb says, no, this is literally the whole Torah. Love your fellow is the whole Torah because what does it mean to love your fellow? Get over ourselves and rejoice. Here's what he says on page 363, the, uh, the first bold line. For the Torah's whole basis and root principle is twofold. The Kabbalists describe the cycle as rasto follow, followed by shuv. It means a passion, inspiration, and then after we're inspired, we've got to come back to earth, right? 
which means running towards transcendence, subsequently returning to the sensory world, worldly reality. The Torah's first root principle is to raise and elevate the soul's importance over the body, lifting the soul higher and higher to the root and source of all worlds. That is the whole point in Torah. The whole purpose of Torah is to see, is to experience reality for not what our eyes tell us, but for what truly is. And that's what love your fellow means. That there's more to a person than what, they, what, the, what the naked eye can see. There's more than their body. There's more than the attitude that they're giving you. There's more than their emotions, their intellect, and aspirations and beliefs. There's them. And this is literally the whole purpose of Torah. Every mitzvah in Torah is somehow an expression of that. It's somehow an expression. It's somehow a tool to bring out a deeper reality in existence beyond what our eyes see. That's number one. Number two, he says. I. It seems like if you love God, this is a lot easier. You don't even have to love yourself as much as you love God, and then it's easier to love your fellow. Okay, good point. Good point. They come hand in hand. They come hand in hand. The Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, once asked him, he said, which mitzvah is more important? Love your fellow Jew or love God? And his response was, I don't understand the question. If you love God, then you're going to love what God loves. It's all inner. You're right. It's all interrelated. It is. Once we have this love, what we have is unity. And when we have unity, we can experience the unity of God, His oneness. God is one. To experience Him, we have to be one. And this ties back to um, to the giving of the Torah, which we're going to be celebrating tomorrow night and Friday, and 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 uh, and Shabbos. It says that when the Jews camped at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, if you look closely at the verbiage that the Torah uses, it doesn't say, and they camped. It says, and he camped. There's three million Jewish people, at least, a little bit more. And he camped. It should be, and they camped. Rashi explains, because we were all one. And that had to be, in order to experience what we did on Mount Sinai, the oneness of God in his Torah, we had to be one. It can't happen any other way. For those who are wondering why Chabad is so accepting, <laughs> now you know. <laughs> now you know the, the inner secret. It's all here. It's all this book. Particularly this chapter. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Great story. Any, any questions, comments? Oh, there we go. <laughs> I used to be good at that. <laughs> Forgot about those days. Forgot about that. Um, any questions, comments, controversy?